I just want to welcome all of you today. I know every time we do, I do start these presentations, I always say, this is one of my favorite ones. Well, I'm not going to say that about this one, because while it is a great presentation, it's so robust that it might be scary, but it's not. It's, it's it, we're gonna we're gonna break it down. But what's really cool about this is that it leads into my whole entire favorite series, which is the Healing of America series. So today's presentation is the wheat and the chaff, and that is all about the Constitution and what is the difference between the wheat and the chaff? Well, for centuries uh, from the dawn of time when grains were planted that was something that was always done when you when we hear the story of of Ruth and how she was uh taking the um the the, the wheat from the shaft and she was the, they used to bang them on rocks to be able to separate them so the shaft is the is the skin it's the hull around the actual grain and you need to take that off to be able to use the grain so when you see the pictures of grain, like in the picture here on our presentation, this has the whole entire stock. It's got the, the hull, the shell, and it has the wheat. But to be able to get to the wheat, you have to remove the bad parts, if you will. And so that's why we labeled this presentation the wheat and the shaft, because the Constitution is a pure document, and it, it's the core of that, of that grain. But what has happened to it is a lot of changes that have made freedom a little bit more difficult to be able to have and hold on to. So um, we're gonna start with this. Why am I not starting with this? There we go. Um, the quote, a constitution of government once, once changed from freedom never can be restored. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Our founding fathers knew this. They recognized that if we did not have a um, a solid a constitution and a foundation that we could all grasp onto, that we would not be able to maintain freedom because everything that protects that freedom is written in this document in the constitution. So I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We have three important documents and one of them is the Declaration of Independence, and that's like our birth certificate. It explains this is who we are as a people. This is our nation. We are a separate being. It is it is literally the birth of a nation, and that's the foundation. What follows from that is the preamble to the Constitution, and then that's our mission statement. And the bylaws, uh, the the um, constitution itself are our bylaws that we operate under. So every time a state would come into the union, they had to agree to adopt those, those foundational uh, documents. But then there's a third set of documents, which is called the Federalist Papers. So when people are talking about, well, the, the constitution and is something constitutional or what was the intent of the founders with this specific meaning, they go to the Federalist Papers because they talked about it. Because from 1918, uh, sorry, 1787 to 1789, that whole two-year period, that was when the Federalist Papers came out and when all the people were asking, well, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, how does this work? How does that work? Because this was a whole new government and everybody wanted to know, how is this going to work? Can we pull it off? And they proved that we can because we have the oldest living constitution uh, in the world 
and people have tried to emulate it, but there is such, such uniqueness about it. And one of the unique things about it is the way that it was even designed. There's a film that, um, that we promote called a more perfect union. And that's going to be one of the, the assignments when you take home today, if you haven't already seen it, I encourage you to, uh, it is uh, available on our uh, store and every year during constitution week, national center for constitutional studies gives us a link where people can watch it free on constitution day, September 17th. So that's, that's a pretty nice gift they give us, but it's, it's, it's a great film. And it talks about the whole entire con constitutional convention and how they came together, all these different people with these different states, different regions and, and the, the colonies, they were, um, like separate nations. That's what our states are. They're, they're separate nations united together in one nation, a union of nations, if you will. They all have their own executive, uh, uh, their own executive branch, their own judicial branch, and their own legislative branch. Every state is modeled after the federal government or actually vice versa. So that is something that makes us very unique. And the constitution is what unites all of those different states together so that we are protecting one another, supporting one another and standing together in one united front um, together as a nation and protecting us from the world. And that's really the main role of the federal government is to um, protect our individual rights, protect our state rights, and protect us from outside forces. What's happened <laughs> has gone far beyond that, um, as you can see as we go through this presentation. The first thing I wanna show you is, this video is from like 20 years ago, and it is it is so cool. Okay, so here's, here's one of the things I have to do, I have to, stop share and reshare to be able to show this video because they want to make things more difficult for me. <laughs> okay. So I am going to, uh, we'll just show this video real quick. Everybody, gather around. I'm here to give you anything you like. You want free college, energy, mortgages, <laughs> whatever you like. You have come to the right place. Why? I'll tell you why. Who can take your money? Who can take your money? With a twinkle in their eye. A twinkle in their eye. Take it all away and give it to some other guy. The government. The government. The government. Fathers roll over in the grave, the government. The 
delicious Soon we'll have to eat our dishes mm, Delicious! Oh, who can be a failure? So many ways. In so many ways. And instead of getting fired, hey, we'll give ourselves a raise. The government. The government. Oh, the government can. The government can. And the government can. Cause they make it up without a thing. It all tastes good. Make it all tastes good. And your Uncle Sam can. Cause he mixes it well as a man. Okay, so <laughs> I just had to show that video because we're going to need to have a lot of laughter and fun as we go through this presentation. So as I said, that video came out 20 years ago, and uh, Tim Hawkins has become a huge fan of our family, or well, we've become a huge fan of him. Our family has become a huge fan of him ever since we saw that video. And it was, uh, my son was in a um, online homeschool uh, curriculum or for, as part of our homeschool, and the, the teacher showed that video, and he's like, oh my gosh, mom, you've got to see this. You're going to love this video. And of course I did. So we started posting it all over at Moms for America. We got the nastiest comments from people saying that we're just hateful and we don't care about people. And how do we, how can we say this? So our, our issue isn't the government. Our issue is how big the government has gotten. And our founding our founding families went to an enormous amount of work. Our founding fathers spent a lot of time trying to make sure that that didn't happen. But as we've talked about before, there are certain things that had to happen for us to make ensure that um, our liberties were protected and the constitution was secured. One had to be a virtuous society. So the more corrupt the people become, the less freedom we're going to have because the more government we need to have. So there's a, a couple of quotes here. I'm going to share to unoptimize one moment, please. Okay, this isn't so bad. You guys aren't killing me. All right. <laughs> okay. Although I do not know why my um, my share, every all the people are on the side instead of on the top. So I can't read part of my presentation. Is there a way we can fix that? No. Um, you can take your cursor, Kimberly, and drag that bar up to the top, or where you can drag that oh, bar. I got it. Excellent. Okay. Okay. We're good. Thank you. Okay. So here's just a couple of quotes that uh, we're going to run through. Um, Gerald Ford, a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take from you everything you have. And I think we've seen that. If you want a government big enough to provide you with free health care, then the government can take away your means of receiving the medical care that you need when you need it. And we can look at all the different European countries to see that that is an issue and that they come to America to get medical treatment because they know that they don't have to wait in line for years and they can actually get good, solid um, medical care. Thomas Jefferson said, and this is this is a hilarious quote because he said this in like 1790 or 18, I guess it was in the early 1800s or 1805, 1810. 
The multiplication of public offices, increase of expense beyond income, growth and entailment of a public debt are indications soliciting employment of a pruning knife. Well, today we'd have to take a dag on hacksaw to what we've got going on, or maybe a chainsaw. I remember I was in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, and I had the Uber had dropped me off to go to my next location. And there was this like big, huge building. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. And so I look up at the top and it says Department of Agriculture. And I was like, oh. And so then I see this bridge that goes over the road and I'm like, oh, well, what's that? Oh, Department of Agriculture. Oh, wait, Department. I think a whole dang city for the Department of Agriculture. Department of Agriculture wasn't even in the, the original constitution. And if you read my book, um, Women America's Last Best Hope, it will outline all of the things we actually did have in the constitution. And, and most of the things that we have today were not in it. But a lot of this is coming from us going to the government and asking for help. So that brings us to Ronald Reagan's quote. I hope once again, um, I hope we once again have reminded people that man is not free unless government is limited. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as the law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. The larger the government is, the less freedom we are going to have. Uh, then there's those who pushed for this idea of bigger government under socialism or communism. Karl Marx is uh, credited as the guy who came up with the whole, uh, whole entire idea of the biggest government and the least amount of freedom, and that's communism. The theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. Our, uh, our founders, the uh, pilgrims, when they came to America, they tried that and it didn't work. And we're going to talk about that in, in the next presentation, but it doesn't matter where communism or socialism has been tried, it has failed because it does not work because people are not going to just out of the goodness of their heart, give up their whole entire day to throw things into a common pot that somebody outside of their commune is going to decide how it's dispersed it just doesn't work we want to provide for ourselves our families and other people so socialism and communism will never ever work and no matter how many times they tell you that it just needs to work better um, they just didn't do it right it's never been done right so when barack obama was president he had this whole idea that we were just going to do it better and he said what we should be asking is not whether we need a big government or small government, but how we can create a smarter and better government. Okay, so no. And if you read anything about the founders, they will tell you over and over again that limited government, limited government, limited government, you will see that everywhere. The idea was to limit the control of government. Then Ronald Reagan said the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Well, I can tell you from firsthand experience, anytime I have been in that situation where we have gone as an organization or as a family or even with our church and tried to help other people and the government was there telling you, no, you can't help them, we've got this. And then they were giving them not what they needed and we could have given them more. And in the previous presentation when we talked about the the thank you train and the and the, the, the merci train and the... Um, the friendship train, um, you, we could see the difference between the government program 
and and that and and how unsuccessful it was government to government and how successful it was when it was people to people and the american people came together and gave an abundance but when the government comes and says i need that from you so i give it to someone else it just doesn't mean as much and when you are there helping someone right by right you, you walk by a homeless person and you help them you know you're helping them but if you're giving to a homeless program where is that going and there's a um, there's a chapter in my 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 book that talks about this too, and I should have put it in the resources, but I didn't. But I'll I'll send that to um, to Tressie and Hannah to send out. So Thomas Jefferson said, "In questions of power, let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution." That was the whole entire goal of the Constitution. We know that power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts ultimately. So did our founders. They knew that. They'd lived through it. They'd experienced it. And Thomas Jefferson and, and several other of our founding fathers, they studied through centuries of history, multiple different governments, and, and looked to see what worked and what didn't. And where they pulled their, their ideas and concepts from the Constitution came from a lot of the clergy at the time, like John Locke, who was also studying these same governments through history. And, and they were very well read. They were very uh, well versed in, in governments and, and uh, those that failed, those that, that didn't. They knew what the Magna Carta was and where they, where they came together on how they felt that things would work best, they pulled from the Bible and they pulled from the Anglo-Saxons. And, and that's what they how they realized that they could create a government that could reach and support all the people without overburdening them and make sure and, and protect their rights. Um, so there was a woman in 1951, her name's Olga Weber. She's a mom from Ohio. And in 1951, she had become concerned about uh, the lack of understanding and appreciation for the Constitution. Look how far we've come since then. But um, so Olga Weber decided that she wanted to um, get the Constitution out there in the hearts and minds of people. So how do you do that? Well, she printed hundreds and hundreds of copies and she she just started distributing them through her town and her community at, at the schools, at the libraries and community halls and, and city halls, everywhere she, she would go. And it wasn't as easy back then to print things as it is today. And so she spent spent money and time and resources making sure that she spent put it out there with as many people as she possibly could. Well, then she decided that um, she wanted to recognize September 17th as a, a special recognition day of, of Constitution Day, the day that the Constitution was signed. So um, she went to her city council in Louisville, Ohio, and she petitioned the mayor and the council to designate September 17th as Constitution Day, and that it would perpetuate that every year afterwards. Well, they thought it was a great idea, and so they did. And they started this big celebration on Constitution Day, and it went so well, and it had, had such a, a great ban and fair and, and, and people following and attending and supporting it that she decided to take it to the state of Ohio. So she took it to the state legislature and they passed it as a resolution that every day, September 17th in Ohio would be Constitution Day. And she's like, this is working pretty well. And so in 1954, she started petitioning Congress. 
And she didn't want to just have a constitution day. She decided that she'd have a constitution week. So September 17th to the 23rd every year would be constitution week. And 1955, Dwight D. Eisenhower signed that into law. And um, since then, presidents have done different things. President Bush uh, did a public law 108 point something where it said that anyone that receives federal funds from for educational purposes must teach the Constitution during Constitution Week and, and different things they have done. Well, every year we have as an organization, we have celebrated Constitution Week in one way or another. The irony is in, in, in uh, 20, was it? <laughs> there's so many years 2019 we decided to celebrate constitution week that year we would go to washington dc and we would hold a, a constitution day press conference with members of congress and we posted it on facebook and we shared it everywhere and we were celebrating constitution week and olga weber the woman who who was behind it and facebook shut us down and said that it went against their community standards. So obviously the constitution is something that offends people that want to destroy the country and turn it into a socialist utopia and utopia and socialism are two words that will never coexist. Okay, so let's jump into why is it that she felt the constitution was so important and why we needed to preserve it. The rule of law, we need to talk about the rule of law. The rule of law is a political ideal that all citizens and institutions within a country, state, or community are accountable to the same laws, including lawmakers and leaders. It is sometimes stated simply as no one is above the law. So where do those laws come from? Well, natural law is the foundation of what the laws should come from and it is the foundation of where the laws do come from in the united states of america so what is natural law natural law is a system of law based on a close observation of human nature and based on values intrinsic to human nature natural law in philosophy is a system of right or justice held to be common to all humans and derived from nature rather than the rules of societies so one of those places that those natural laws come from, we could say, is the Ten Commandments. And that's why the Ten Commandments is, is on buildings all over the country, on federal buildings, on state buildings. I mean, this was a foundational understanding. Don't kill. That's pretty much whether you whether you think that the Ten Commandments are religious or not, the ideals behind them are pretty smart. And historically, we can... Um, we can look back and we can see how historically this this was not just traditional in history, but this was what the laws were based on. And that's why when the Lemon Law, the Supreme Court um, has been using the Lemon Law for decades to determine whether or not something could or couldn't happen in a public space, which is why they kept saying you can't have Ten Commandments in Capitol buildings. You can't put a, a nativity in front of a city council or city administration building. Well, this Supreme Court overturned the Lemon Law and said, we have been making these decisions based on the Lemon Law all these years. And, and it is clear that the Lemon Law is unconstitutional in and of itself. So the Lemon Law stated that you could have religious materials or identity or objects as long as it had a secular foundation. That's the most absurd thing. How do you ever have a secular foundation for something that is religious or of faith? 
It never happens. Well, when the Lemon Law was overturned, it opened up the door for 720 some cases to be revisited. And so um, wall builders and several other organizations are encouraging people to now go and, and try to take advantage of this opportunity to get these Ten Commandments back in, in all the schools. So Texas just passed a law saying that the Ten Commandments can be displayed, must be displayed in every single uh, school in the state of Texas. So that's pretty awesome. Okay, so where else do these do these ideas come from? Thou shalt not kill, you know, don't kill, don't steal, um, don't lie. All of those things are pretty sensible. Well, natural law is the theory that certain rights or values are inherent by virtue of human nature and can be universally understood through human reason and logic. We don't kill. Natural law has deep historic roots and asserts these laws are immutable and unchangeable, serving as basis for morality and justice throughout human history. So as I said, we can use the Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, human dignity, equal justice. All of those things are something that we intrinsically um, adopt, understand, and agree with, regardless of what our religious uh, preference is. So that gets us into a, a unique perspective. Okay, so we know... The laws are what determine the society. And in the United States, as the union, the constitution is what defines the law, protects the law, and protects the individual rights and the state's rights of, of every individual citizen. That's the whole goal, is to protect our right to, to life, liberty, a pursuit of happiness, personal property, to live our American dream, as long as we're not infringing on the rights of others. Well, that's where you have to start creating uh, laws to make sure that that happens. So that's where we get the separation of natural law and man's law. Natural law is based on principles and truth. Man's law is based on dogmatic beliefs, um, constructs of mind. For instance, uh, in natural law, based on principles of truth, you don't kill people. In man's law, it's like, well, unless they're not born yet. And and you and it's based on the society and how society rolls and and how the leaders decide that that they think what is right and what isn't, which is the reason why we've had to be very careful about making sure that the Supreme Court is loaded with justices who are strict constitutionalists. Otherwise, you have a legislative body that was never supposed to legislate, and everybody just bows to it. So we're very, very blessed right now to have the court that we have because we've been able to get a lot of things right that have been wrong for a long time. Natural law is harmonized with and due to knowledge and understanding. And on the other side, man's law, it's complied with due to fear of punishment. And we talked about this in a, in a previous presentation, the idea of RAD, radical attachment disorder. You, if it's If it's not nobody sees it, then it's not wrong. Well, that's that's completely opposite of natural law. Natural law is that virtue within ourselves that we know mm, that's wrong, I'm not gonna do that. Whereas man's law is you're gonna go to jail if you do that. And there's definitely a need for that because there are people who lack virtue and who are going to break the law. And so the laws are set up to protect those of us who are the innocent victims who are obeying the law, which is why we have to be really careful in creating more laws because you can't create an abundance of laws to make people behave. It just doesn't work. And we'll get more into that. Um, so nat in natural law uni is universal. It exists and applies anywhere in the universe, regardless of location. Don't kill, 
don't steal. Doesn't matter what planet you're from. It doesn't matter what state you live in, what country you're from. It's the same. Whether or not they adhere to those standards, that's another thing. In man's law, these things differ with location based upon the whim of legislators. Moral relativism would be a um, great idea. Um, it's okay for, for you to be uh, penalized if you do this, but I will be uh, absolved from that. And it's just your your truth is your truth my truth is my truth it's, it's just yeah relativism um that in natural law it is eternal and immutable it exists and applies for as long as the universe exists it cannot be changed it is what it is whereas in man's law it changes with time based upon the whim of legislators it's not just the whim of legislators it's it's the way that the culture moves laws are made determined on where the culture moves uh, elections are determined based on where the culture moves so it's really important that we have a culture that understands those principles that we've already learned anchored in hope liberty begins at home Faith, virtue, and patriotism. America shared the story. All of those things that we've already learned, what we are nurturing is what we will harvest. So if we are not teaching the, the Constitution and those principles behind it, then how could we possibly expect to have legislators or anybody else in society who is going to follow it? So this is what the founders had before them they they figured all this stuff out and then they had to to determine okay with all of this information how then do we create a government where we can protect the people from themselves <laughs> basically how, how can we protect the individual rights of the people from overreaching government run by other people and this is where they came up with rulers law and uh, people's law, because rulers law, it's 100% tyranny. Whatever the king says, that's what goes. That's what the founding, our founding families were living with. If the king said, this is what we're going to do, that's what happened. And that's just the way it was. And that's why there was such pushback, because the, the, the families in America had been living under their their own work ethic, their, this idea of freedom and and i mean yes they had laws and there were some that were definitely unjust but they lived with this idea that we are individuals and we're taking care of our families and we're living in a civil society and now you're coming in and saying do it my way or the highway i'm going to tax you more to to penalize you for this and and it just it was not good and, and so there obviously started to be a pushback they didn't like rulers law so they fought a revolution to overturn rulers law. And then they came up with a document that was the interim document between the Revolutionary War ending and the Constitutional Convention, where they realized that, um, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> they realized that the replacement of rulers law was really um, bordering on anarchy because all of the states had their own laws and everybody was fighting for their own um, opportunities and privileges. And they were even making agreements with England against another state. And it, it, people were fighting over each other's property and the states were fighting amongst themselves and it wasn't working. 
And so they took that interim document to the Constitutional Convention with an updated, an upgraded document. And you can see the whole story of how it happened in the film A More Perfect Union. Again, highly recommend it. And so what they realized is uh, no law is anarchy. So you have to have law, you have to have government, but you don't want to have a government that is so hierarchy and, and, and so tyrannical that you have no freedom whatsoever. And this was like the present revolts and all through the um, the European uh, times of the monarchs. The monarchs, while they sat high on the hog, ate plenty of food, had all kinds of really nice costumes and rode around in big chariots, they were terrified of the peasants uprising. That was a big deal to them. And so that's kind of what happened when we had the no law um, and all the states were just kind of running amok, trying to do the best they could, you know, to, to manage. And, and it was... Uh, it was definitely not working. So with this understanding, they came together for what became the Constitutional Convention. Now, this is where um, they learned, they, they took a lot of what they've learned and they started discussing it. Thomas Jefferson wasn't even at the Constitutional Convention. He was in France at the time. He was the uh, delegate to France, ambassador. Uh, but he was very involved in this convention because he was a, uh, a mentor to James Madison, who is known as the father of the constitution. And he did draft it based on a lot of the information that he was able to glean from Thomas Jefferson mainly and others. So Thomas Jefferson said, rightful liberty is obstructed action according to our will within the limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. Okay, basically what that means is we all agree that you have the right to do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't infringe upon my right. <laughs> and that can get sticky sometimes because people tend to take that idea of rights and push it out to a limit that does not exist in, in humanity, let alone within the Constitution. But he adds this part, which is very, very important. I do not add within the limits of the law, because law is often but the tyrant's will and always so when it violates the right of the individual. So what made the United States of America with the constitution, this convention and the founding of this document so unique in all the world is because it protected the individual. That had never happened before. They protect classes, they would protect um, monarchs over the peasants, they would you know, depending on like during during the War of the Roses, depending on which rose came into town, um, you got burned to the ground. Uh, you're on this guy's property. He's a white rose. We're burning you. The red, red rose comes in and, you, and it's just it was crazy. And, and it was like mass chaos. And they called it the Dark Ages for a reason. The Great Enlightening period led to this understanding of individual liberty. So what they learned from it was um, what the difference is in people's law and ruler's law. Rural, rural, ruler's law nearly always is established by force, violence, and conquest. Somebody comes in and takes over the country. They, they win the war and they're now the king. This is what another thing that made America so unique. Um, there's a great book out there called The Man Who Would Not Be King. And it talks about George Washington. And after this war where he, they where these, these, I mean, really, farmers and storekeepers fought this war against the greatest army military force in the world and won. And George Washington went home. 
And the king was like, when he heard about this from the artist who was painting his portrait, he said, what's what's Washington going to do? And he said, well, he's going back to his farm. And he said, if he does that, he will be the greatest leader that ever lived. Because that's not, again, historically what happened. When you came in and conquered, you were the conqueror, you were in charge, and it was now your government, your people, and they did whatever you told them to do, and you could do whatever to them you wanted because you were the king. In ruler's law, all power is with the conqueror and their descendants. The entire country is considered the property of the ruler. Uh, that's why with it, when the people would go and hunt, were hungry and they would go in the forest and hunt for deer, they would be put in shackles in a dungeon because King didn't say you could go out there and hunt for deer. Uh, they have top-down government. Government is by the winds of men. Problems are always solved by creating more laws and expanding more government. Completely opposite is people's law. It is a commonwealth of free men. Now, remember, I told you that this came from... Um, the people of Israel in the Bible and people's law. Uh, I mean, the Saxons. So this is what the Saxons, this is this people's law is how the Saxons lived. And it's what we adopted in addition to how the Israelites lived. And I'll get to that in a second. So people's law is a calm. They believed they were a commonwealth of free men. Decisions and selection of leaders were made by consent of the people governed by natural law. People dispersed among the pe power was dispersed among the people. Problems were resolved with individual and family, and then the community, and finally the nation. Family first. That's a crazy concept, but that's what our nation is founded on. That idea of family first. They were organized into small groups where every adult had a chance to vote. Individual rights they knew were inalienable. And this is the foundation that our founding fathers started with. This is what James Madison spent so time studying and writing on when he went to the Constitutional Convention with a document that was totally new and unique. But there was um, another piece of that. And that was when you look at the um, the time of, of the Israelites, when, when Moses was leading millions of people and all these people were coming to Moses and saying, we got this problem. We got this problem. And Moses is like, Oh my gosh, I need like 50 of me to be able to manage this. And Jethro, his father-in-law came to him and said, Moses, this is not working. This is not a good way to do this. And so um, through the, the divine uh, guidance of the Lord, um, Jethro said a better way would be. And so they, they, what they created was, um, these divisions, 10 families, and then a thousand families and 10,000 families. And, and they had these representations through all of these, um, these, these different groups. They were all divided by the tens of thousands, then by the thousands, then by the hundreds, and then by the tens into these groups. Well, that's how we're represented today by state senators and state representatives. And, um, it, it is beautiful beautiful. It's actually a pretty beautiful concept of how to do it. In a limited government, the power of the government to intervene in the lives and activities of people is limited by constitution law. We now see the federal government as being a major influence in our lives. It was never supposed to be that way. It was always supposed to be that the closer the government is to us, that's where the, the government um we we have the, the strongest interaction. And so um, the further away the government is, the, the less it's supposed to authority it has in our lives. That too has changed. Um, 
so we know we've learned about this in school, the three branches of government. When they had the constitutional convention, they had to decide how are we going to um, administer to the people, uh, protect law, the law, and protect the individual rights. That was a, that's a, a big challenge. Well, this beautiful document, they, they using the, the Israelite and the Saxon model, they came together and they came up with something, took it to the Constitutional Convention and came out with something even better than what they thought. So there was a lot of arguments and discussions. Again, please watch that film, highly recommend it. More Perfect Union. Um, so the three branches of government we know are executive, legislative, and judicial. But there's that, that was a separation of powers. And we hear about the separation of powers all the time. But there's another part that we don't talk about. And, and it's this idea of federalism. What is federalism? It sounds like a, a bad thing, big government. It's actually not. Federalism is, is the exact opposite of big government. It separates the government and puts in more checks and balances than just those three branches. And that's with the vertical. So we've got the, the horizontal separations, which are the three branches of government, but then we have the vertical separations and that can protects the individual and the local communities from the federal government overreach. How does that happen? It's a wall. And this wall is the states. So the states have the power to make sure that the federal government does not overstep. We had some problems that came up in, over the years that have made it more difficult for the states to uh, protect the individual citizens within their state. So the Bill of Rights, um, there are two amendments that are very clear about what the Bill of Rights are. And the Founding Fathers discussed at great length, why do we need a Bill of Rights? There were even a couple I'm sorry, just a minute. <laughs> there were even a couple of stalwart founders who were part of the Constitutional Convention who refused to sign the Constitution because it didn't have a Bill of Rights. And, and James Madison was like, I don't understand. Why do we need a Bill of Rights when the Constitution already limits the government and protects our rights? Well, it's a good thing that they decided to have the Bill of Rights because the Bill of Rights is kind of like our saving grace right now with all the government overreach. But they wanted to make it clear that the people, th this is not the only rights of the people. We've just taken the time to outline these specific ones because we saw that this was a major infraction, infringement on, on our freedoms and liberties from the British government. Uh, and we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And so we're going to make it clear that these are our, th these rights belong to us. But then they also said, they're not the only rights that belong to the people. All the government belongs in the hands of the people. And so amendment nine says the enumeration in the constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. That means everything it's not all outlined in there and you should not assume that just because it's not in there, we don't have the right. And the 10th amendment is even more powerful. The powers not delegated to the United States, the federal government, the union, by the constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states 
are reserved to the states respectively for the people. Totally unique in all the world. This document is beautiful. But then there was 1913. <laughs> and I have a, another um short video I want to show you, but I have to figure out how to do this so I can unshare and then share. Okay. Okay, here we go. Begin by talking about what happened following the Civil War when the Constitution began to be changed with additional amendments which altered the original intent of the Founding Fathers in a number of ways. But in spite of these changes, however, the America's success formula propelled the nation into world leadership. And by 1905, with less than 6% of the world's population, America was producing over one half of the world's wealth. However, by 1913, dangerous transformations began to threaten America's way of life. Some individuals with wealth and power lost confidence in the principles of the Constitution and began to attack its very foundation. These changes not only included an attack on the provisions and restraints of the Constitution, but also belittled and downplayed the character of the Founding Fathers themselves. 1913 then became the worst year ever for America. In that year, several major changes effectively destroyed the Constitution's checks and balances with the passage of the 16th and 17th Amendments. Ratification of the 16th Amendment gave the federal government the right to tax the people directly. The first blow then, the people taxed directly, started tearing the Constitution apart. Ratification of the 17th Amendment removed the power of the states to protect states' rights and the lives of the people inside the states. Then in 1925, the devastating results of the 16th and 17th Amendments would come into full force. In the Butler case, the Supreme Court declared that the federal government was no longer restricted to the original 20 powers, that the federal government could now pass any laws and tax the people directly for any purpose which they felt was for the good of the people or the nation. This gave government unlimited powers. These three things destroyed one of the protective frames around the original Constitution as it was. The Supreme Court soon began to twist the meaning and intent of the Constitution and arrogantly expanded its own judicial power and Congress did nothing to check it. We are now where our founding fathers were under Great Britain. And now our federal government must be brought back under the control of the people. We can put America back on the path to prosperity and peace. Okay, so um, as they said, this was a very bad year for America. 
the 16th and 17th Amendment. So prior to the 16th Amendment passing, you could not direct tax the people. How the federal government received their money was the census was involved in that. They did the census to find out how many people were within a state or a community. The state collected the taxes and then they send it to the federal government. And when they started to direct taxing people through the 16th Amendment, then they could uh, basically we're, we're going to the federal government with our hands out saying, please, sir, can I have some more to fix my roads and um, take care of our people? And it, it's totally topsy-turvy of what the founders intent was. The 17th Amendment was what protected the states themselves. The set And prior to the 17th Amendment, senators were not elected by the people. And that's what the House was for. The House was 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 done by popular vote, but the state, it was it was voted on by the state legislatures and the state legislature sent the people that they felt were going to best protect the states. A perfect example of why this is a, a, a major problem is because uh, when um, Obamacare was trying to be passed, national health care, the, the states who were having this enforced upon them by the Senate, by, by their own U.S. senators, they were actually filing lawsuits against their own U.S. senators that were supposed to be representing their state to stop this overtake and enforcement of this, um, this national health care system, which was going to cost their state a ridiculous amount of money. Um, I was just at a presentation and I, I wanted to add this and it, if we may go over and I apologize, but this information is so vitally important. Now that we understand what the constitution was set up, how it was set up and why, now we need to go to the part of, well, well what do we do about it? And the presentation was at a wall builders con legislative convention or for um, state legislators across the country. And it was a pro-family legislative uh, conference. And Barry Loudermilk, who is a representative, uh, a con congressman from Georgia, gave this presentation and it blew my mind because it helped me really understand where we are today. So he talked about the difference between um, a constitutional conservative and a populist. And I, I, I'm just going to run through this and then I think we can kind of um, talk a little bit about where we're at today and not necessarily who is who, but where the movement is coming from and how we can make sure that we adhere to the constitution and not try to just throw everything, blow everything up. We don't just blow, I don't mean figure it physically, but you know, figuratively blow everything up. So a, what is a constitutional conservative? The American founders were constitutional conservatives. They're someone who believes in adhering to the principles of the U.S. Constitution as originally written and intended by the framers. This typically involves a commitment to limited government, individual liberty, and rule of law. Um, okay, I need to share my screen again, apparently, and undo these little clicker things. Okay. Okay, so... Um, the founders obviously were constitutional conservatives because they constructed the constitution. They realized the flaws of the governments of the past and even the ones that they had been operating under. And they knew that they had to have strict adherence to the constitution. So currently today, a constitutionalist would be someone who um, adheres to the principles of the constitution as originally written and attended by the founders, which we can find out 
in the Federalist Papers if you ever have any questions about what they thought. Okay, then we have, um, sorry, constitutional conservatives. Okay, so there are three tenets to constitutional conservatism. And um, tenet one, God created man with equal rights, which is individual liberty. All people are created equally by God with certain rights. Government protects those rights. That is the main purpose of government. Tenet two, government must be constrained limited government. Governments should be small in size and limited in scope. The majority of powers left with the states and individuals. That's why it's outlined in the Constitution of the Bill of Rights. Tenet three, Constitution limits power. Rule of law. The Constitution is a bulwark against government overreach and tyranny. It must be respected and preserved. And that takes us back again to Thomas Jefferson's quote that we chain them down, bind them by the um, by the chains of the Constitution, that was that was the intent. We want to make sure that um, individuals don't get into power and then start to grow the government and become tyrannical leaders. Populism. Um, this is the difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution. The American Revolution was very thought out. They didn't want to have to go to war, but they they believed in principles. They were very educated, very informed, and they wanted to make sure that they made good choices. The French Revolution, however, they wanted war and they were sick and tired of the people who were in charge and they were just going to turn it all upside down. Well, they did. And all they did was create a different despotism. So populism is a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. I think we all pretty much feel like that today. The three tenets of populism are tenet one, us versus them, the people versus elites, the people versus establishment. <laughs> tenet number two, moral division. The people are inherently good, wise, wise, sorry, should be wise, and always right. Elites are inherently bad and moral and corrupt. They're all bad, the us and them. Tenet three, view of the people is supreme. Achieving the wants and desires of the people is the ultimate purpose. Nothing should stand in the way of the people. Well, I would um, definitely say that that would be a problem. And depending, and it doesn't matter if it's conservative, liberal, right, left. This isn't about um, political parties or you know who, what political party is in power. It's it's who has the power, who has the authority to have the power within the government? Who have we given the power to? We've given the power to the people, but the people have to be responsible for that power. And if we keep going to the government saying we need to fix things, we need to we need to stop this, there have all been these atrocities and we need to we need to go back and 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 make them all right, we have to be careful about how we're doing that. Um Populism versus traditional conservatism. Populism is a thin ideology, while traditional conservatism is a principled ideology. In populism, the ideology is predominantly based upon popular public opinion and current events. Republican populism promotes traditional conservative values, but only as long as perceived to be supported by, quote, the people. And the people aren't all the people. <laughs> They pick and choose who actually is we the people. It's not everybody. It's just the people who are being good, people who are who are saying it's about the Constitution. 
Um, I remember in when um, Donald Trump was running the first time for president, there's so many people who were so angry with what had been going on during Barack Obama's presidency, Clinton's presidency, and even George Bush's presidency. I mean, there were so many things that he did. I mean, no, dude. He expanded the government um, to incredible limits um, when he did the Patriot Act and Homeland Security and all these, you know, additional departments and expanded Social Security. And I mean, it was just, yeah. <laughs> Um, definitely outside the scope of the Constitution and the and the rights and authority uh, that we have given the federal government. And the president, for the most part, is just supposed to be a figurehead. Honestly, that's what he is. And yes, the executive branch does certain things under under his um, authority, but he has very very limited authority. He represents us abroad. He um, represents and holds the union together on on, on the front. But he he very it's just, just basically a figurehead. It's the way it's supposed to be. Not anymore, right? Now he's ruling like a and 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 uh, with an iron thumb and a crown on his head, and but he's not the only one. Several presidents in the past have done this, and they've taken liberties that they didn't have and pulled from power and authority that they didn't have through executive orders and different things. And we would support it or not support it based on current events or public opinion or how much we were being hurt. Here's a great example um i was running for um i, I was helping a, the mayor of a town uh, get elected several years ago and i was going door to door and talking to people about this woman and i went to this one door and they said well we're not going to vote for her because she doesn't support the library and i said where did you get that idea she of course supports the library and they said well she wants to close the library and so that it's not open on tuesdays and thursdays and i said but it's open every other day and that's so we can meet the budget and be responsible and accountable and people just don't go on tuesdays and thursdays you've got five other days that you can go to the library just plan better well our daughter works at the library and if uh, we don't have work on tuesday and thursday then she's going to get paid less and we need to make sure that she's taken care of I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to make the whole entire community suffer because your daughter might get paid less? And I said, you know, this is going to up your taxes considerably. And they said, we know we're going to pinch pennies, but it's the right thing to do. Holy freaking cow, is it the right thing to do? I mean, these are the kind of questions that we need to be asking ourselves. You see these signs all over the place. Save the library, save the kids, save the police. And we need to be really thinking, sure, do we want the police to be paid for? Yes. Do we want our schools to be funded? Of course. But we need to really think about what does that mean and how is it affecting the entire community? How is it going to affect us individually? Are our rights being stomped on? And, and when we make a vote and, and approve or deny something, we need to be really careful about what we're approving or denying. So I want to go back to the um, President Trump thing, because in 2016, as I said, all these people were upset. The Tea Party was still in full full blown, well, in large numbers, uh, still across the country. The sentiment was certainly alive and well. And people who should have known better were telling me, well, he's going to do this and he's going to do that and he's going to do that and i and i'd say you know if if he does all of the things that you say he's going to do he will not be a president he will be a dictator and and they said well then that's what we need i'm like i'm sorry excuse me and and they said well they, they pass all those executive orders and i i said yeah well he would have to do all of the things that you're saying through executive orders which is absolutely outside the scope of the constitution and they said well at least it'll be our executive orders for a change 
obviously that's a problem. You're not adhering to the constitution. You're just saying, we're going to poke them in the nose too. We're going to use the government to get them back for when the government, the other government. So, so the next president comes in and he decides we're going to just flip this, the, 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 the executive orders. This is exactly what's happened. Barack Obama signed executive order, executive order, executive order. President Trump went in. He didn't sign near as many. And most of the ones he did sign were constitutionally sound because they were within the scope of the executive branch, but he signed some too. It's like, I'm going to overturn this one. So he comes in and he overturns all of Barack Obama's. What happens? The moment uh, Biden gets in, he's got all those guys, 72 ready to go and sign them all in one day, putting everything back and making it even worse. So if we're not if we're not going through the process, the way the process has been set up to protect the individual rights and sustain the constitution, then we're going to continue to have um, obstruction. So um, there are a couple of other things that, um, um, let, me, let me go back here real quick. So in, in, tra in traditional conservatism, ideology is based on a set core of principles and originates from the biblical worldview tenets of the constitution, constitutional conservatism, founding documents and original intent of the constitution. Um, populism are the, is the desires of the people are paramount. Traditional conservatism defending the constitution is paramount. So, so Representative Laudermilk um, gave some, some ideas, uh, but he, he talked a lot about Republican populism and how within the Republican Party, because that's kind of where everybody feels like we still have a voice who are fighting for the Constitution. Um, he said pop, Republican pop originated on the basis of eliminating corruption in government, quote, drain the swamp. The establishment is anyone who has been part of the government or the GOP. If you've already served in government, you need to go. If you're the GOP, you're done. Um, traditional conservatives have failed to get the job done. They all must be replaced. Intolerant of anyone not in 100% agreement. The only person that I that would be a true perfect candidate is Jesus Christ. And he was if he was on the ballot today, he wouldn't win. We have to remember that the culture decides what politics are going to be. And so we need to work through the culture while we're doing the candidates possible person elected. At times it is the lesser of evils, but at least it buys us some time so that we can get to a better person to represent us. But we have to start with the culture because the culture that we have today would never elect the most perfect person that we know, Jesus Christ, the Savior himself. <laughs> My Modify standards or principles to advance an agenda. This is this is something that is happening. Fight fire with fire. Well, they did it, so we got to do it. Um, remove or destroy anyone not perceived as 100% supportive. This is happening in the Republican Party right now and every state. And there's a major rift where there's this big conflict between the people that are, that we're the people, you're not the people. And if you're not doing everything that we say, if you don't say the election was a fraud, if you don't say this, if you don't do that, then then you're, you need to go. And it is causing a major problem. And those who are trying to destroy the country are winning on it. And they're using the things that we're doing against us. Uh, never let a crisis go to waste. They've been using this for a really long time. And when they saw when any time that both, that both sides of the aisle and the party's perspective um, are agreeing 100%, you should be scared. We should have never had the Homeland Security. We should have never had the Patriot Act. And the fact that 
both sides immediately jumped on it, proves it. Um, this is something that he talked about um, in the um, in his presentation, which I thought was really, really good. The populist movement. When we hear the story of Jesus and we um, know that Pilate washed his hands, he's like, you know what? I he, he may have broken your laws or done something to upset you Pharisees and Sanhedrins, but he didn't break a Roman law. And as far as I can see, this man is completely innocent and has done nothing wrong, but he, he threw it to the people. He didn't want to be the one who's going to make the decision. He didn't want a peasant uprising. And so what he did is he pulled the most horrible person they could possibly think of out of the jail. Someone who had uh, done, been, uh, done actual insurrection against Rome, who had murdered, who had stolen, who had done all kinds of things, pulled him out. His name was Barabbas. And what did Jesus do? Or what did Pilate do? He said, choose who, who do you, I will let one person go free. Who do you want Jesus or Barabbas? And you sit back and you wonder how in the heck could those people have chosen Barabbas because they were populists and they wanted the fighter who was going to give it to Rome. So challenges of populism, culture of instant gratification, social media, instant news, sound bites, pictures, memes, it's everywhere. Today, political success is measured more by volume than by achievement. How many followers do you have on Twitter? How many bills did you get passed? Well, were they good bills? <laughs> I mean, how many people did you get, get elected? Were they, were they the right person to endorse? Um, believe there is no time to wait for constitutionally based solutions. We're losing our country. Yes, we are. But if we just start doing the same things that the other side has been doing, we're not going to have a country at all. Here are some examples that um, Congressman Laudermilk gave, which I thought were very, very good. And I know exactly who it was that introduced this bill, but he was very respectful and not using names. And he talked about these new, he didn't call them upstarts, but you know, it's kind of how the, every, the, the establishment is feeling their upstarts upsetting the whole entire uh, you know, re Republican Party and government in itself. Well, the parties, most of the people in the country aren't aren't Republican or Democrat. They're just people trying to live their lives and they're sick and tired of what's going on up there. Well, you've got people from that category, populists, who are being elected to government at all levels of government who are coming in to break things. And um, this was a perfect example. The Biden impeachment on January 21st, 2021, one day after Biden's inauguration, they set in the impeachment orders, impeaching Joseph Biden, president of the United States, for abuse of power by enabling bribery and other high crimes and misdemeanors. He didn't do that. He may have done it before he was president of the United States, but you can't impeach him for something he did as the president of the United States when he has just become the president of the United States. And so when uh, when Representative Loudermilk went to the authors of the bill and those who were supporting it, and he had tons of people in his district, you don't support this impeachment of Biden, then you're not going to get my vote. And he has a lot of pushback, but he he was like explaining to people, listen, I'm all for impeaching the dude, okay? But it has to stick. And you can't impeach somebody for something he hasn't done. Now, if you wanted to get rid of him as a senator or you know vice president, or whatever, you sure already done that. 
But here we are where we are now. So we have to operate on what exactly did he do? And the constitution is very clear about how you can impeach somebody and whether or not they're mentally capable is not on the list. That's what the 25th amendment is for. So you can't impeach someone on the fact that they're falling downstairs on, on or making us the laughing stop of the stock of the world. Do I like it? Of course not. But if we start, if we start down this road, it will come to bite us in the butt. It always does. So when he went and talked to the to the authors and those who were supported it, they said, he said, why, why, why you, why do you think this should be done? And the answer was retribution. Democrats have lowered the constitutional bar on impeachment, and we have to engage them on their battlefield. That is never a good idea. Lowering the constitutional bar and saying that that's how we're going to fight our enemies. Another one was the FAA authorization. Of course, we all think this is a great idea. It was July 19th, 2023, just a couple months ago, Amendment 36, to require airlines to reinstate pilots who were fired or forced to resign because of vaccine mandates. We're like, yeah, let's do that. The government did this, so we need to fix it with the government. Well, Barry Loudermilk went to and uh, did some investigation. And he said, did the government tell the airlines that did they did they mandate that these airlines had to have their pilots and their staff be uh, vaccinated? No, the airlines did that themselves. And he said, so what we're doing is introducing more government control where it doesn't already exist. And he was able to convince a lot of people that this was not a good idea. And it wasn't. You're giving the government power to... Uh, oversee something that they didn't already have power to do. And I guarantee that will come bite us in the butt because when the next guy's in charge, then, or they can even do it now and say, well, now that we have this authority, um, you now have to hire at least 10% people who are transgender or homosexual or whatever. The government now has complete control over who they hire and fire. Mm -mm. No. One of the things that Barry said at the end of his presentation, he said, I may negotiate my preferences, but I will never violate my principles. Very powerful statement. And I think that's something that we should internalize ourselves. We may negotiate our preferences, but our principles, our principles have to be sound. And, and that's going to take a little bit of work sometimes to do the research. Yeah, it sounds great. It's very popular to say, impeach Biden, uh, kick it back to the man. Kick them, kick them because they did it. So, but it's, it will always hurt us in the end. So I just wanted to um, have the oath of office here because I, I, to understand what it is that, that they, the, the oath of office that they take when they uh, take office, because I think this is an oath that we can internalize ourselves and we can decide, is this something, am I, am I going to put my lives, my fortune and my sacred honor on the line to, to stand by this oath? I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Are we going to be an enemy of the constitution because we're mad and we just want to, to, to give it to the man <laughs> to get rid of all these people who are obstructing government, messing up our lives. Um, there's a reason why things are slow because they they want things to be slow to pass so that you can really think about what, you, what it is you're passing. This idea of how many bills you can get out there, 
there are a lot of really bad bills going out there. And we should not be judging somebody by how many bills they were able to get passed. And we should be judging them based on the content of the bill that they passed. Um, it continues, I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, the Constitution, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, not trying to get out of trouble to, to do this. I'm, I'm fully committed. I do it willingly. And that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me, God. It's like a covenant with God. That's what the oath of office was. And that's what our founders felt. This is a covenant with God and the people. And it should be treated that way. That's why they put it on the hand on the Bible. That used to mean something. Daniel Webster. I echo these words. Hold on, my friends, to the Constitution and to the Republic for which it stands. Miracles do not cluster. And what has happened once in 6,000 years may not happen again. Hold on to the Constitution, for if the American Constitution should fail, there will be anarchy throughout the world. So I think it's really important that we understand how we can be effective and we need to be more supportive of those representatives who are trying to do the best that they can. Hold their feet to the fire, but hold their feet to the fire of the Constitution and not the whims of men, not the populist thought of drain the swamp. Do we want to drain the swamp? Yeah, but how do we know who's actually in the swamp? Well, the fourth house, we can get rid of a lot of the bureaucrats. I can say that for sure. Let's start limiting the scope of government by uh, taking, getting ridding ourselves of uh, closing down these organizations that should never have been um, established in the first place. The Department of Education, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Homeland Security, I could go on. Those are things that we can do. We can work to repeal the 16th and 17th Amendments, and it's not unheard of. You can repeal the 16th and 17th Amendment when the American people know that they can, and they will only elect people who will do it. It is doable, but it has to start with educating the American people, helping them understand you do have a weapon. It's like taking a pin and popping a balloon and all of their power is gone overnight when you repeal the 16th Amendment, take their money away, and put the power back within the states with the 17th, repealing the 17th Amendment. So I would like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to read the 17th Amendment and the Destruction of Federalism. Really great article that explains this a whole lot better than we had time for. And, and I encourage you to take the Healing of America series with Jolene. It's incredible. It, it, it is a six week series, 16 week series, and it goes more in depth all about the constitution. And I guarantee you, you go through that and you're gonna be way more versed on the principles of liberty and the constitution and the founding of this country than the vast majority of elected representatives, attorneys and judges in this country. And you'll blow their mind when you can tell them simple things that they don't know that they should. I also encourage you to watch A More Perfect Union as a family. Great, great, great film. And preparation for next week, I didn't even write up here, next week's presentation is, um, uh, I know this, A Harvest, <laughs> The Law of the Harvest. And we only have two presentations left, The Law of the Harvest and Raising Patriots. They're awesome. This is the longest one, and I'm sorry it, it went way over, but I felt it was really important to add this information that Representative Loudermilk presented at this conference because it was just eye-opening 
for me. And we need to decide, are we just going to kick people in the knees or are we going to sit down with them and, and build relationships to have real change? Uh, so for next week's presentation, I encourage you to please, if you can, if you have 5,000 year leap to review principles seven and 25. And I am really excited about next week's presentation. And I'll just say it again. It too is one of my favorites. They're all great presentations, good foundation to be able to build from, to create that, um, that land of liberty, restore the Republic and continue the blessings of liberty that we've been, ha we've had for generations so that our children and grandchildren continue to have them. Thank you for coming today.